Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark 12, verses 18 through 27. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. And Lord, we do ask that you would help us to be those who have ears to hear. I pray that you would help us to pay attention to your word, that it would find root in our lives, and that we would be those who bear good fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 12, 18 through 27 says, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. And then our New Testament reading from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that that reading of 1 Thessalonians wasn't nearly as exciting as the first time we heard it today. But, But hopefully, we're hearing these words in various ways and it's helping it to sink in. Um, and of course, the whole goal of hearing the word of God, reading the word of God over and over is, uh, not just that we would know it more, but that we would know him more, that we would come to know our creator and our redeemer, our savior, that we would know him personally, and that we would come to love and trust him more and more in everything. We have been looking at uh, Genesis for a while now, and we've been following the story of God as creator, creating everything, and then the way that he works personally with his people. 
And we have seen all the way through uh, to a guy named Abraham who uh, God chooses him and says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And we have seen uh, the ways in which people at various times, various ways, do seem to love and trust God, and then other times, maybe not so much. This morning, we have a, um, a time where maybe it's not so much, and this is actually one of those stories um, where I mentioned last week, you know, the, the story that we looked at last week is not found in children's Bibles. This one isn't either. Um, this is a story that is not rated PG. This is a story that if you have uh, children watching, you, you may want to remove them <laughs> uh, from hearing, watch this on your own, and then see if you want to come back with them later, that kind of thing. This really isn't a story for kids. Um, and yet, it is in the Bible. It is for us. It is there for a reason. And we're going to talk about what those reasons are because at first glance, when you hear this story, and if you've never heard this story before, oh, you're in for a treat. Um, <laughs> But when you first hear this one, if you're like me, your first reaction is, why is this even in the Bible? We could just skip that part, right? We don't need that in there, do we? We do. Here it is. Um, And again, reading from here. This is uh, Genesis 19, 30 through 38. And let me set the stage before we go into this. Last week, we looked at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham had been praying for these towns. God said he's going to go down because the cry about the wickedness from the city had reached him, and so he was going to go down and see how bad it is. And he gets down there, and it's it's pretty bad, pretty bad. And so uh, he has to actually, the angels take Lot by the hand and have to drag him out when he continues hesitating, leaving uh, the wickedness that that he has surrounded himself with, even though it is for his own salvation and good that they are leading him out. They get out, and uh, he says, oh, can I just go to this this town? It's, uh, what does he say? He says, look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. Okay, so they go there. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Uh, He had a wife, two daughters. The daughters were both engaged. Their um, fiancés did not come along. They stayed in Sodom. Lot's wife did come along, but only partway. She turns around, turns into a pillar of salt. Uh, So the only ones that made it out completely were Lot and his two daughters. This is where we pick up the story. Here we go. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old. And there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, 
Last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. There you go. Now you know what I meant. This is not a story for children. It is not. Um, and when you first hear it, you're like, I, why is that even in here? Um, couldn't we have done without? We just skip this part, right? And really, that's kind of the way we tell our family stories, right? You have that... Uh, <laughs> Abraham's got his nephew who has a, a weird, there's a, there's a weird part of the family story, right? You just leave that out. You tell the whole family story. You mention all the good things that happen and the notable folks that have done wonderful, amazing things. And then you've got the ones that, eh, we'll, we'll just, we know that, but we don't need to talk about that. This is in the Bible. Uh, this story of Lot and his daughters is in the Bible. The story has continued to be uh, shared by Abraham's family, and it is actually here for us. And the question is, why? Right? Is this a story that you need for today, for this week? Is this going to help you in your life? I say yes. Even though at first glance it may seem like, I'm not sure about that. Because it seems like if we are doing uh, very surface-level Bible reading and interpretation, you think, okay, this is what they did. Um, we need to either do that or not do that, right? That's the simple uh, Bible reading. And I hope, if that's the way you're reading it, that you can conclude that, no, we should not do that. However... I suspect you're probably not going to be in a cave with close family members when you're wondering how to preserve your family line later this week. So that's probably not why this is there for us. In fact, there are other places that cover that kind of thing. And so if that's the only reason it's here, um, yeah, we don't need it for that. Also, it actually never says, if you look closely in there, it never says explicitly if this is something good or bad. We're just left to make that conclusion on our own. So if the only reason it's here is to say, don't do that, it doesn't do a very good job of, doing, of saying that. So I think there's something else going on. And this is where um, we get into some of the things that are maybe we're not aware of. We titled this sermon, Not Aware, and that comes from the two times where it says that Lot himself was not aware of what was going on. And I think that's for us, oh my goodness, such a theme of our lives, of how we are not aware of what all is actually going on. Um, and when we read this, at first glance, we may not be aware of what all is going on here either. And so uh, let's, let's go back and look at some of these things, whether we want to or not, um, <laughs> that I think are more what this is about and that actually are things that are, will be helpful for us even today and this week. Okay, 
First of all, did you, did you notice any connection between this story and any other story that's come so far in Genesis? You see, any similarities? That's a good question to always ask when you encounter any new story. Is this an echo of something that has come before? You know, you've heard the old line that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. <laughs> There's so many things uh, in the way the stories are told, even uh, throughout Genesis especially, where you are seeing connections to earlier things. So you see, this is all part of the same story and the same family and the same patterns. Anybody notice anything? What's that? Sarah? Yeah, there's definitely a connection with Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah, when the three visitors came to Abraham, they said, you're going to have a son next year. And she laughs. She doesn't believe, right? And there's there's a bit of not believing here. But even before that, Abraham had been told he was going to have a son. Sarah doesn't know how. And so what does she do? She comes up with a scheme of her own and says, maybe Hagar? Nope, that's not it. There's definitely uh, some echo of that. Anything else? Yeah, we're going to be more interactive today. I'm not going to be the only one who talks about this. Come on. The law has not been given yet. Yeah. And so if, uh, if we are looking at this simply as, are they obeying the law, then we're reading it wrong because that has not yet been given. And so there's something else at play. Say, Noah? Yeah, Noah and his sons. This is big time replay of Noah. When Noah was laying uncovered in the tent kind of thing, what were some of the things at play then what had what had just happened for him a couple things one is he was drunk right you see a connection here with that yeah another one is and we talked about this a lot last week if you're here uh with the um getting lot out of sodom before its destruction was already an awful lot like noah being rescued from the flood and the destruction that was coming on the whole world at that time. And so we've already seen kind of this parallel between uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah story and the Noah and uh, the flood story. And so the, but this, is a, this is a pattern. Look for this throughout Scripture. You see this, um, this pattern of people being rescued by God, God doing amazing things for them, and then they immediately turn, out, turn around and fail somehow. We see that with Noah. We now see that with Lot. Uh, we will see that continually as we keep going through the story. And you see God rescue people, save them, and then you're like, oh, great. And now they have seen how amazing he is and what wonderful things he does, and they will just trust him in everything every day of their lives perfectly, right? And then the next story you have is, oh, maybe not. (laughs) If you know much of your Bible at all, you probably already have other stories popping to mind where you're like, yeah, that does happen. If you have been a Christian very long at all, you may have stories from your own life where that same kind of thing happens. Hey, looking back, that would have been 
exactly the right moment to trust God, and I didn't, right? I think this is a big part of what is going on here, is we're seeing this connection uh, with Noah, but we're seeing it in, uh, in Lot in this somebody who has just been saved from destruction who then um, doesn't live like it. In fact, what was it that was causing, um, that caused his daughters to come up with this plan? This bizarre plan. Was that there were no men around. Why were there no men around? Because they're in a cave. Well, why are they in a cave? We just talked about how when they left uh, Sodom, they didn't go to a cave. Where'd they go? They went to a town called Zoar. You think there were other men in the town? Yeah, probably so. But they're not in the town anymore. They're in a cave. Why are they in a cave instead of the town? God had just saved that town from destruction because of Lot. And they're not in the town anymore. Why not? That very first verse in our passage this morning should have marked. Uh, verse 30, I believe. It says, Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. Huh. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. The reason that they are in a cave instead of in the town that God through his angel had told him was going to be spared because he doesn't believe it. I was just in Sodom and I saw what happened to Sodom. I don't think I'm going to stay here either. I'm going to go out, isolate from everybody else, because surely God's judgment is coming there too. But God already told him, no, it's not coming there. But instead of trusting, he's afraid. Can we relate to that one? Even if we can't relate to the specifics of the cave incident? fear causing us to doubt what God has already said. There's more, though, as to why this is in here. And that has to do with uh, genealogy. We have been following uh, a particular family for a reason. God has said it is through Abraham and through his family is going to bless the whole world, right? And when he first called Abraham, we talked about how this is in chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God takes Abraham out from his land, from the people. I'm going to bless you. So here we have this kind of rescue moment in the whole world. We looked at uh, just before that was the Tower of Babel and how uh, wicked things had become there. And God takes Abraham. Come on out. But leave 
your people and your father's household. What's the very next thing you find after God uh, says this to Abraham? Verse 4 in chapter 12. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Uh, when he, Abraham, was 70, or Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. Do you hear it now? Starting to see the pattern? God has just uh, reached down and grabbed Abraham out of everybody as the one uh, to rescue, to save, and through whom he's going to bless the world. And the very first thing Abraham does is not an act of trust. He goes, he does go, but God says, it's through you that I'm going to do these things, and Abraham brings Lot with him. And as we have said before, a very possible reason that he brought Lot is that he was thinking through Lot. Not through me, but through my extended family. That must be what it's going to be, because I'm already 75 years old, and I don't have any kids, and and then what we've found along the way is him bringing Lot has brought nothing but problems <laughs> again and again and again. And yet, he's still part of Abraham's family, and we still continue to follow that line. Um, and so we, we get down to the end, and we see that this is where the Moabites and the Ammonites come into the story. And as we continue to read we find the Moabites and the Ammonites pop up a lot throughout the story. And they are constantly friction with Israel and later with Judah. And, uh, and this is where that begins. This is what it goes back to. And it goes back to that same problem that has been going on since Abraham brought Lot to begin with. And there was that friction between Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds. I mean, the, this is been a uh, source of friction since Abraham originally brought Lot. And yet, and this is, um, so we've got some of the genealogical things going on there. Uh, Here's the thing. God does not say that evil is good. And yet, he can take the most evil actions and redeem them and bring good out of them. So one thing we see is with the Moabites and the Ammonites, as much as friction as there's going to be, uh, in the same way Kelly brought up uh, Sarah, we had Hagar. Sarah says, uh, maybe, maybe Abraham, you're... Your family line is going to come through my servant, Egyptian servant, uh, Hagar. Well, no. And yet, God still says, but I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless him, turn him into a great nation as well. Huh. Well, that was extra generous. Thanks, God. With this situation, it seems like that, okay, this should not be done. This is something, I mean, uh, the reason that these girls maybe even are coming up with this plan is because they maybe have grown up in Sodom and they have had the influence of uh, 
really outside the box thinking on what is normal. <laughs> and they have just come to absorb that and they think, all right, well, here we go. It may be that they are just being pragmatic. What else are we going to do? I don't know. And so rather than trusting God, they just do what they can see in the moment and their limited perspective. But whatever the case, instead of God now raining down his judgment on the cave, he continues to bless these people, turning them into whole nations of their own. And in fact, to the point that when uh, the Israelites are coming up out of slavery in Egypt and they are being, they're going to the promised land, they're going to have to go through Moab and Ammon to get there. And God says, but don't attack them because that's Lot's family. What? Really? Yeah, really. Okay. And so as much problems as they cause, as much difficulty as there is, God still says, but no, don't, um, don't attack them at that point. Now there's a lot more to that story and the complicated relationships there. And they are eventually destroyed. I'm not going to read it for you right now, but you can read about the prophecy in Zechariah about the destruction of uh, Moab and Ammon when they are taunting Judah and its downfall. Um, And it even compares them, Moab and Ammon, to Sodom and Gomorrah. In Zechariah 2, if you want to look that up. Fascinating when you remember where Moab and Ammon come from. But there's still one more thing, genealogically speaking, as we look at how it is that God can redeem even the worst uh, actions. Do you, do you know, do you realize that it is through this incident and through one of these family lines here that Jesus comes into the world? You know the connection there? If you open, um, you open to Matthew 1, this is one of my favorite, favorite places in the whole Bible. Matthew chapter 1. This opening genealogy. Um, I'm just going to read a section of it. This is just verse 5. Now I'll read 5 and 6. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Did you hear it? Only if you know some of the rest of your Bible. That part where it says Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Maybe you recognize the name Ruth, and you go back and you look it up. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And in, uh, in Ruth, uh, chapter 1, you see that there was a famine in the days the judges ruled. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah leaves and takes his family to Moab. And it's in Moab that he, uh, his sons find wives 
One of them is a Moabite woman named Ruth, the same Ruth that then shows up in Matthew chapter 1 as we are given the line of Jesus. And so when we trace it all back, go, wait a second. Jesus came from Ruth. Ruth came from Moab. Moab came from this incident in the cave. God uses the worst things and doesn't say, oh, they're good, they're good, they're good, it's all good, not all good. But he takes those things and he redeems them and he can still bring good out of them. And this is one of those things where you read this story and you're just like, ugh, after reading the Bible, now I feel like I need to go take a shower. Like, that is gross. What is going on here? And God takes a story like that and brings the best thing into the world through it. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. So when we title this, Not Aware, that is, there's so much I think we are unaware of. I think, you know, Lot, it says, was not aware of what his daughters were up to. He's not aware of it because he's drunk, right? His daughters, I don't think, were aware of God's hand on their lives. They were not aware of the bigger picture going on, of the family that they were a part of, the way that God had already chosen them. And so they think they have to take matters into their own hands. And you have to wonder, what have they been aware? I don't think any of them were aware of the ways that God would redeem this story in the years to come. But I also think that we are not aware. Far too often of the bigger picture going on. Of the way that God can redeem even the worst situations from our lives. The bad decisions that he doesn't say, no, those are good now, that's fine. They're still bad. And yet, he can redeem. I think we're often not aware of the ways that we are supposed to trust him when instead we think we have to take matters in our own hands. And I think that's often due to drunkenness, maybe not on alcohol, maybe. But maybe in all kinds of other ways that dull our senses to the voice of God and his presence in our lives. And we become unaware. Unaware of the larger reality in which we live. And we start to think that just the things in front of our eyes and ears and our, that our hands can touch, we think that those are the only things that matter. Those are the, it's the only information we need to make our decisions. And so we go through life unaware. What was it we read in... Oops, I'm going the wrong direction. In First Thessalonians... So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love the breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is who we are to be, a people who are awake to the presence of God in our lives and in this world, awake to the uh, reality of the living Lord Jesus, who God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, who lived and died and rose again and now prays for us. Is this the world that you live in? Or do we live in a world where we are not in tune with that story at all? There are lots of voices telling lots of other stories. It's easy to get distracted or to get um, confused by them or to get drunk on the things of the world and so passively go along with whatever is served up. This is an awkward, way to, an awkward way to say it, but let us not be not aware. Let us be aware of who God is and what it is that he is doing in us and through us as he works uh, good for his people and for this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.